right. Good evening, church. Uh, welcome back. Welcome back to our study called Making a Difference. Make a Difference, Learning to Follow God Well. Um, I think after all this time, I wouldn't have stumbled over that. We're, we're in this series, and, and I'm excited about that. Now, if you're kind of newer here, or if you've been here more just for this last season, um, twice a year, I give a vision message. And so at the beginning of January, somewhere near the beginning of January, and kind of as we get ready to go into the autumn, we, I kind of talk about what I feel like God is saying to us as a church, or where he's leading us, or maybe what he's inviting us uh, into. In this past January here in 2018, I spoke about uh, this sense of God inviting us as a church towards, uh, towards more favor for him as individuals, and, and, and as a church in, in general, and I, I think I titled this message, and this isn't quite right, but something like the big God rocks for a big God helped year or something like that. Uh, the, the idea of getting the right things in our lives right. That would be the invitation this year, getting the right big things right in, in our life for, for God's help and for his favor, not just to, not just to pursue his favor, but to receive his favor in, in a special way. Now, what is the favor of God? The favor of God is basically living the God-helped life. The life where God is, is, is helping you, where, where things are happening beyond what would just be normal, beyond what you could have expected or, or even been expected to accomplish. It's, it's experiencing more, more from God, more help from God. And so we, talk, we begin as you're talking about getting the big God rocks right in, in our lives, uh, setting up this year for more favor, more help, and, and basically just the sense of God inviting us into this. As a church, and as people and now looking back i think you can see it's, it's absolutely clear as a church we have not had a year like this we've been praying for more space for years and yet this year it looks like god isn't just opening up one more space but two more spaces um opening up a huge amount of seats to us uh in this year to see people um come to christ see people grow in, in their faith and uh but just an outpouring of god's uh, obvious help this year the, the north campus uh, the north location uh, the email the, the way that this started this is this is not part of the message the way that that started was i got an email or we the church here got an email from somebody who never heard of our church and and basically this lady was talking to her like daughter or granddaughter whose kids go to the same school as my kids and they knew who Kelly was and they were somehow that they were had a church and so they sent this email to us and saying hey could you help us with our church situation that's kind of how it began like so unlikely so much God uh, I'll tell you more about that story later but it's just so clear that that this year as a church has been marked by major and unusual help and favor from God he invited us into a year of this or at least into this prolonged season hopefully much more than a year and and it's and it's shown to be how it is for a church but also that's true for you as individuals. You are being invited and you have been invited to experience a season of, of a God-helped life. The, the testimony of our church in 2018 is the Lord has helped us to this point. The Lord has helped us, or thus far, God has helped us. What a wild year it's been. So we're going to continue our study. 
tonight. It's entitled, well, you know, Make a Difference, Learning to Follow God Well. And, and, and in this study, we're looking at three people in three consecutive generations who are going to teach us how anyone in any generation can make a difference as they learn to follow God well. We're looking at, we have already looked at Hannah, a woman named Hannah in the beginning of 1 Samuel. Now we are looking at her son, Samuel, uh, and then we'll ultimately be looking at a king named Saul as we continue on in our study later. Now, we're not looking at the book of 1 Samuel, although all three of these stories are taking place in this one book. But we're looking at these three people, and why that's important now for us is, um, for the first three chapters, we've basically hit every bit of it going through, but now there's a gap. And so last time I spoke on this series, I was in chapter 3, and we talked about Samuel learning to hear from God, and how that's part of following God well and making a difference, is learn to hear and discern what God is saying to you, so that you can Act on that so you can act appropriately So we talked about now that was First Samuel chapter 3 today we're Picking up in chapter 7 Samuel Who we're watching and, and, and who we're Learning from nothing has happened since chapter 3 and chapter 7 in the, in the In those chapters in the Bible what has Happened is uh, there was a there was a battle and the Ark of the Covenant was taken taken out to this battle and um, they lost the, the God's people, the Israelites. They lost the battle. The Ark of the Covenant was captured at the same time. Samuel's older adopted brothers, much older adopted brothers, were killed in this battle. And and following just right on the heels of that is. His adopted father dies uh, just at that time. The ark is captured, and yet God does this powerful work uh, against the Philistines, and they end up sending the ark of the covenant back on this cart, and then people look into it. The Israelites look into it, like, hey, the ark's back. Well, let's look into it. And then 70 of them die, uh, and they ended up taking the ark and putting it at this guy named Abinadab's house. Uh, Abinadab, that's his name. It was at his house. Abinadab, they give it to Abinadab, where it's going to stay for a long time. It's already been there for 20 years now up to this point. So we're, we're, at, we're about 20 years later after chapter 3, maybe 21, 22, but, but just over 20 years later after the last story we looked at. All that's gone by, and the, the ark has been sitting there, and it's going to be there at least until, well, it's going to be there until David comes for it. And, and that's going to be at least 40 years plus 7 like it's in Jerusalem, plus the time before Saul becomes king, and then somewhere around that. So many decades later, 60, 70, maybe years later from now. So that's, that's where we're at, and that's what's been going on. But we're picking up in chapter 7, and what we're going to be looking at today for our study is that we're going to look at the path of returning to God's favor. The path of increasing in God's favor, which is basically the path of seeing more help for you from God. To, to see more obvious help flow into your life, which is really going to help you make a difference. More God help, more making a difference. More God help, more making a difference. Let's look at it. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in chapter 7, starting in verse 2. The um, words are going to be on the screens here. Let me just read the first couple verses. Uh, it says this, in, starting in verse 2 of chapter 7 of 1 Samuel. Time went by until 20 years had passed since the ark had been taken to Kirith-Jerim. Uh, the, then the whole house of Israel began to seek the Lord. 
I'm just going to hit that again. Then, after these 20 years, the whole house of Israel began to seek the Lord. God's doing a reawakening work here. Samuel told them, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, get rid of the foreign gods and the Asherahs that are among you, dedicate yourself to the Lord, and worship only Him. Then he will rescue you from the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites removed the Baals and the Asherahs and only worshipped the Lord. Okay, so you want God's help? You, you want God's help? You, 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 want, uh, you want rescue? You want guidance from God? You want direction from God or his intervention? Samuel's going to show us exactly how to get that. And the first thing he's going to talk to us about, number one, is returning to God. That's the first step in, in seeing God's help or God's favor. Returning to God. The way forward with God's help begins by returning to God. The way forward begins with going back to, to, to God. Now, that doesn't mean you've run away from God. Now, maybe some of you have run away from God. Um, but, but maybe for some of you, you're, you're generally good and you, you haven't given up on God fully, but the, maybe the fire has faded considerably. Maybe your passion for God has faded. The, the, the desire to, to talk about God, the, the desire for prayer, the desire to read the Bible, the, the desire for generosity, or just to live with, with rock-solid integrity. Like those kind of things. Maybe they just kind of diminished a, a, a bit. The way forward begins by returning to those basic things. P simple holiness, like godliness. Um, it says here, uh, returning to God, it says in verse 2, the phrase, returning to the Lord with all your heart. Returning to the Lord with all your heart. Returning with all your heart. There's only one way. There's only one way to, to re return to God, and that's with all your heart, like all in, not holding anything back. Some people, sometimes people think, okay, I'm going to start turning back to God, and I'm just going to take it step by step. So I'm going to do a little bit, and then if I'm still interested in returning to God in a week or two, I'll do a little bit more. <clears throat> and then if I haven't, um, you know, if I still feel interested in another month, maybe I'll do a little bit more. And I'll just kind of gradually return to God. God is looking for people who are ready to grab on with both hands and just be like, I am in. I am in this. This is, God is my God. He is my, he is, he is going to be the master of my life and I am fully, 100% all in, in, in when it comes to with all my heart running after God. I'm not going to take this step by step. I'm taking this by diving in, head first. Nothing held back. So returning with all your heart. The other thing we see here when it comes to returning God is getting rid of idols. Uh, returning, removing all idols. This is about purging your life of the things that you've held on to as more important than God. Or, depending on what they are, maybe reprioritizing things. Uh, if you want to return to God by removing idols, sometimes it means reprioritizing things permanently that you've prioritized more than God. Tim Keller writes a lot about that. Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian in, in New York, author of several books. Uh, he writes about idols in our modern era, and he writes this. He says this, An idol 
Is anything more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity? I'm just going to reread that. An idol is anything more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity. Idolatry is not so much wanting bad things as it is turning good things into ultimate things. This means anything can become an idol, including good things such as career, family, achievement, independence, a political cause, material possessions, certain people in dependence upon you, power and influence, physical attractiveness, romance, human approval, financial security, your place in a particular social circle or institution. And, and Tim Keller is just going to go on and on describing and, and, and painting out a picture of what idolatry can look at when we take something that's maybe good, and then, but we put it in too high of a place in our life. He talks about uh, things like um, uh, a special project. Like, like maybe a work project or a, a school project or just something that you're, you're a, a hobby project. When, when a special project becomes an idol, it means that everything else in your life needs to swirl around that. Oh, I, this is more important than going to church for this next season. This is more important than, than praying for this season. This is more important than Bible reading. This, 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 this special project is the number one thing. And then everything else is going to fall into place behind it. He talks about that being an idol. He talks about beauty being an idol. And, and um, that could be excessive time or, or effort or money spent on, on, on beauty or, or self-esteem issues entirely fluctuating or eating disorders or how just, just everything just consumed by, number one, your, your state of mind and your heart is, is, is driven by how you feel about how you look. He talks about family being an idol. And, and for some people, it's like, my kid's success is more important than, than anything else. My kid's happiness, the opportunities that they have are more important than anything else. You could also flip it around, and some people live by the sense of, okay, I'm an adult now, I've moved, I'm, I'm on my own, and yet my parents' approval and opinions drive my life. And, and that's more important. Their opinions are more important to me than, than, than God's opinions. It's, I've seen this a lot in our church over the years, with, especially with unbelieving parents and kids who are wanting to follow God. A, a, a clash there um, uh, for, for adult children. Um, maybe having relationships. Maybe just having a relationship as the most important thing more than anything. I have seen so... Okay, I'm, I've seen too many people leave our church and stop following God because they want to have a relationship with someone who doesn't care about God more than following God. And so they walk away from God because they want a relationship more than they want, they want to follow God. Um, in, in a marriage situation, when you follow your spouse's desires or emotions or, or wants more than what God wants, there's, things are a little bit out of place. There, there's some idolatry going on there. And, and uh, it's tricky, but that's, that's idolatry. You, you know, in, in my mission organization, and, and I can only speak of Americans in this, in this sense, there are a lot, uh, there's a good amount of 20-something missionaries going out of America. There's a good amount of 60-something, 60 60-year-old-something 60 missionaries going out of America. The 40s, they really drop. 
And, and why, there's two reasons why it drops in, in the 40s. One of them is because parents are aging and they want to be around their parents more at that, at that time. But, but a lot of them want to leave, leave the foreign mission field because they want their kids to have the opportunity to have the traditional high school experience, you know, sports and homecoming and all that kind of stuff. And so they're leaving the field for those years, for those years. That could, I, I'm not speaking about everyone, but there's a good chance that if somebody is saying, I want to prioritize my kid's high school experience more than what God has clearly called me to be a missionary in this country, they're talking about idolatry. Idolatry is so sneaky, and you can see it, you identify it when, what, when that thing becomes the thing that other things swirl around. I'm not going to go to church because I, I, I want to have this hobby. Or be a part of this event or be a part of this stuff uh, Idolatry is, it can be sneaky returning to god with all your heart re requires Readdressing re 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 readdressing your priorities and being honest about your idols. What are those things in my life getting god's priorities to become your priorities? That's what returning to god is getting his priorities to be your priorities Returning Prioritizing God first and only Yeah, prioritizing God first and only You can see this in the Bible Like in Acts chapter 19 Christians Christians in Acts 19 are doing this Not unbelievers, Christians Christians, they're realizing that the way that they're living There's some compromise there And, and they're a little bit shaken up because of an event that took place um, A demon beat up these people and or Seven demons or, or No, a demon beat up seven people Yeah, that's right, something like that That's right, seven people beat up seven sons of Anyways, super fun story. You can read it out sometime. Shakes up the church. They want, they want to get back to taking God seriously. And so what they do is they bring out these scrolls. Now, these scrolls, they're witchcraft scrolls, sure, but they have so much value, like monetary value. They're extremely valuable. And they take them out, and in their passion to, as Christians to follow God with all their heart, they want to get rid of these compromises, these idols in their lives, and so they burn them. And on that day, they burned these scrolls, which valued 137 years worth of wages. 137 years worth of wages. And they burned it. They burned it as they want to follow God with all their heart. When I was a teenager, my parents forbid me to play this particular non-name brand um, role-playing game. They were like, Brian, you can't play this game. I'm like, it's no big deal. It's not, it's not a big deal. It's not, there's nothing bad about it. You know how it goes. Parents, it's no big deal. And they're like, stop, don't do it. I forbid it. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one. Anyway, so, so they, they did that to me, and, I, and I, did, I, I still bought the game, and I played it my, in secret with my friends. And I bought it, and I put it in a special box, and it's a role-playing game, so I had these really cool dice all with it and everything like that. So I bought it, and I had my characters. <laughs> One day, God start, said, Brian, no. And, uh, and, and I'm like, but God, this is not a bad game. I really like this game. There's nothing wrong about it. And God's like, Brian, it's about your parents. And your parents have said no. And, and that's what, mad, what matters here. And you, you want to follow me? To follow me means in this sense, you have to obey your parents in this one. They, they forbid this. So I took it outside, this game. I took it outside. We had a burn barrel. 
It's like a barrel where you burn stuff. Really cool. And I took it out in the burn barrel, put it in the burn barrel, burned, burned it, watched it burn. All, all this, a lot of money's worth of or stuff burned it. The, the dice, they don't burn. So I um, had to pull them out. And I think I buried them or something. It doesn't matter. What happened, what, but the, the idea is like, if you want to follow God well, I don't know your circumstances or your story, but it often calls for bold steps of obedience, ones that you don't want to make. That was uh, definitely true. That was one of the most difficult things for me to do, is to, to, burn, to burn that game. The path, this is the path, though, to returning to God. The path to favor, the path to the God helps life. God helped life. Let me, let me keep reading, though, in our story here. Um, in verse 5, we're going to see some more stuff here. Uh, in verse 5, it says, Samuel said to the, to the nation, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord on your behalf. When they gathered at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out in the Lord's presence. They fasted that day, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged, which meant led, administrated uh, the Israelites at Mizpah. Okay, so first we return to the Lord, and then we rededicate our lives. That's the second thing. We rededicating our lives to God. First returning and then rededicate. Now, it is so easy to get off track. It's so, it's so easy that the fire fades and that desire to keep God in the number one spot. It's so easy to get that to slip because something else seems so important and so now and so urgent. It's so easy to get off track. And yet, it's so easy to return to God. Like the parable, the story of the, 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 the lost son. He, he insults his father. He takes the inheritance. He leaves. He wastes it all in the worst way possible. He's devastated by it all. He wants to come home. He's embarrassed. He's ashamed, but he comes home. And he's not rejected. He's embraced. The father runs out, wraps his arm around the son who's done everything to insult his father. It is, it's easy to walk away from God, but it's so easy to return. The Father's arms are open wide to, to receive you and to, to receive you home. How did they go about seriously uh, rededicating their lives to God in, in this story here? Well, it says rededicating, they started with a day of prayer and fasting. That's, that's how they did it, a day of prayer and fasting. Uh, do you, you need to fast a day in order to rededicate your life to God? No, but, but you can see how these people are taking this very seriously. They, they want to take this seriously. They, God, I have, we, have been, um, we have insulted you with, with our idols, with, with the way that we've lived. We, the way that we've lived has been, we, we're grieved, and so we are going to humble ourselves with fasting in your presence for this day. We're not going to eat. We're going to humble ourselves because we agree with you that how we've been living is, is wrong. We repent and we, we're choosing a different way, but we're grieving. We're grieving how we've treated you for this last season. Now, <clears throat> on a practical note, fasting can actually be uh, helpful if you're wanting to return from God. You don't have to, but it can be helpful. Why? But because it, fasting tends to be... Um, Helpful at breaking habitual sins 
and habitual sin practices, things connected with self-control. It's just in a, in a practical way. We're not used to or, or well-practiced at saying no to things that we, we really want, especially if you're in the habit of, of, of whatever. Um, you're, you're, we're not used to saying no to those things, and our self-control tends to be on, on the weak side. Um, so when, when you're fasting, you feel hungry, you're, when you're fasting, you're like, I want to eat. I want to, uh, I, my, my body wants food. And you're saying no to that, and, and, it's, and, you're, and you're resisting what your body's telling you you want. That practice str- can strengthen self-control about other things. As you get used to, to, to telling your body, no, we're not going to do what you, what, you would, what you want done right now. Many people find that helps them break sin cycles, uh, sin patterns, saying no to food. Uh, it helps them to say no to other things that are pulling on their heart. So practically, fasting can, can help. It can be quick, practical help. So they did that. They did prayer and fasting when they, when they were uh, rededicating themselves to God. And then they also publicly confessed their sins. Rededication, rededicating public confession of sins. Public confession of sins has been at the heart, or at least the, at the flashpoint of most of all the revivals that I've read about. There's always prayer leading up to it, pretty much always prayer leading up to it. And then one of the flashpoints is an incredible act of, of bold humility where a person will stand up in, in some sort of meeting and confess publicly their sin. And a spirit of holiness and fear of the Lord will fall on that place. And then people, oh, people around the gathering will start confessing the sin. And that contagious confession spreads throughout a, a, an area, a region, an island, a city, a nation. And, and people start repenting and, and, and giving their lives to Jesus um, around the thing. Public confession of sin. James chapter 5 talks about this. And it says, um, it talks about confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We love the idea of confessing our sins to God. Do that. But there's something even more powerful about humbly telling somebody what you never thought you would ever, 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 ever tell anybody. and Somebody who's trusted and who's godly and having them pray for you. Things break in those, in those moments where you're trying to hide with all of your might and then you confess it and they pray and things are shattered. powerful stuff and this these people they're they're rededicating their lives to god and includes public confession just as a side note christians when we confess to god i want to remind you we're not pleading with god to forgive us god please 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 forgive me that's not how christians need to approach that we have been forgiven it's promised we say god Thank you. I believe in your forgiveness. I believe in your forgiveness through Jesus. I I, I receive that. I'm so thankful. My heart here is to agree with you. That's, That's mostly what it is. I agree with you, God, that you want me to live differently than I've been living and that I've been living wrongly. And now I repent and I'm gonna now start living as you want me to live, rightly. I And that grieving process. Well, anyway, so uh, the publicly con- public confession of sins, they're returning to God, they're rededicating their lives to Him, and then, w- then what happens in this story? Well, we pick up in verse 7. It says, When the Philistines heard that the Israelites had gathered at Mizpah, their rulers marched up toward Israel. When the Israelites heard about it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. 
The Israelites said to Samuel, Don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, so that he will save us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a young lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on behalf of Israel, and the Lord answered him. Samuel was offering the burnt offering as the Philistines drew near to fight against Israel. The Lord, or Yahweh, thundered loudly against the Philistines that day, and threw them into such confusion that they fled before Israel. Then, meaning after God did that, the men of Israel charged out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, striking them down all the way to a place below Beth Car. Okay, so they, they called out to God. God helped them. They were victorious. So we're, we're going to talk about the results of returning to God. The results of returning to God. There's two results here that we're going to focus on. Two results of returning to God. And the, and the first one that I want to say, uh, I guess before I say it, is this one, there's nothing about this one that ought to cause you any concern about returning to God yourself. Okay, I'm going to make this statement. I don't want this to scare you. I don't want this to throw you off. I don't want this to cause you to hesitate when it comes to returning to God and rededicating your life to God. But sometimes when, when people re return to God or make a, a step of obedience towards God, there's a result of backlash. One of the results can be backlash. So these people, they, they returned to God and the, the enemy had heard them. Uh, they'd, they'd heard that they'd all gathered and then the enemy comes to attack them and they're afraid many christians no some christians i'm going to just say that again sometimes sometimes not all the time when people turn back to god or repent they face a testing moment in that sometimes they face a, a disappointment or they face a, a temptation. They face an invitation to return back to the old way. They face something that is intended by the enemy to, to set them back. I've seen it here. I've seen it here in, in a lot of different ways. Maybe somebody gets baptized. Sometimes we've seen people uh, get baptized expecting a great week with God, but then having a terrible week the week after, and everything is rough and, and difficult. And, and they're like, what, what happened? Well, it seems like the enemy got agitated because of their obedience step towards God, and there was a bit of a, a backlash there. Not, not half the time, but sometimes, but not even half the time. Uh, a, a big spiritual attack sometimes can be followed by, sorry, a big spiritual step can be followed by backlash from the enemy I, I the day that i heard about our final breakthrough with this building that we had agreed upon a price and everything like that after years and years of waiting and praying uh that day i got sick i was sick for a week i'm never sick i'm never sick let alone for, for that long backlash the enemy hates losing people the enemy hates it when we take big obedience steps after God, when we repent and we return to Him and we rededicate our lives to Him. Now, there's nothing to be afraid about when it comes to backlash. It's just something to be ready for and mindful of just in case so that you're not confused. Why does God allow backlash? Well, I believe it's because God knows that when you've just rededicated your life to Him, when you are saying, now I'm ready, God, to follow you no matter what. I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I'm back here no matter what. God knows the strengthening power of a first victory. 
to encourage you. God can allow a challenge, a difficulty, because he knows of the strengthening power of a first victory. You get the opportunity to compromise again, but you say no this time. First victory, uh, an encouragement. You, 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 um, you feel like, oh, disappointed by something in life or discouraged, and instead of turning away from God, you cling to God. First victory, strengthening, strengthening. The Bible's full of, of, of these kind of first victories to strengthen uh, the Red Sea, uh, Jericho walls. Before Gideon fights this big battle with 300 people against this massive army, um, he, he tears down this, this idol, and, and God's with him, and he gets that first victory. There's lots of them in the Bible, that strengthening first victories. Sometimes when we, take, uh, when we return to God, there's backlash, but we don't need to be worried about it because it's also an opportunity. It's an opportunity to, to have a strengthened, a quick victory as you're following God. Uh, another result is obvious help. Obvious help from God. Obvious help from God. In this story, uh, God's obvious help is He's thundering. He thunders loudly in direct answer to prayer. In this story, He brings about extreme confusion. He brings about extreme confusion in, in the enemy, which leads to a, a row. They fled because God confused them. There, there's not a sense of like, oh, they should have won anyways. No, God thundered and confused them, and that's why they won. That's kind of how it is with you. When God is fighting with you against the challenges of your life, when God is fighting with you, when he's on your side, anything can happen. And that's what we want. We want the God-helped life. And that's what you're being offered, the God-helped life as you return to Him, as you deal with your idols, as you rededicate your life to God's ways first. As you do that, God will really show you favor and His obvious help. That's been our story here at this church. Years of not seeing breakthrough in our building situation, years of praying, and now we're getting not only one, but it seems like two, uh, two more locations in a short span of time. It's, it's a life changer when you experience God's help in obvious ways. Now, these people experience God's help, an amazing victory, and then they respond after that. And what do they do? Well, Samuel leads them, and we see this in verse 12. Afterwards, after this battle, afterwards, Samuel took a stone... And he set it upright between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, which means stone of God's help. That's what that is. Stone of God's help. He named it uh, Ebenezer, explaining the Lord has helped us to this point. Or thus far, the Lord has helped us. The Lord has helped us to this point. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel's territory again. The Lord's hand was against the Philistines all of Samuel's life, okay? So our, our final point has to do with remembering to remember. Remembering to, what do you do when God helps you? You remember to remember. And here they set up this, this stone called Ebenezer, stone of God's help. The Lord has helped us to this point. And that stone is going to remind us. If you want to incre increase your chances of staying true to God throughout the, the obstacles and the challenges and the crises of your, of your life, uh, if you want to 
that current resolve, if you want that to stay fresh as you're experiencing God's favor, a huge thing that we, we can do is set up intentional memory aids, such as journaling. I, I journal. I, I, I write in it quite frequently now. I know my long-term memory isn't that great. And so if I don't write it down, I'm not, uh, I, a good chance I won't remember it. Um, I also have on my desk, I think it's now an addition on my desk, a rock. I was teaching at this, uh, at Lakeside Bible Camp um, a, a couple years ago. It was an extremely difficult time of, of teaching, and I needed God's help, and I prayed out to him, and he caused breakthrough, and, and that, that week totally turned around in the middle of that week, and I was just so thankful for God's help. I, I took a stone, uh, well, a little rock um, from, from there, and, and was like, okay, God's helped me. God helped me this week. I'm going to take this rock to remember. Um, somewhere else, I, I have a journal where I write down the things that I feel like God's saying, uh, his revelation. Just remembering, remembering to remember. We all need to remember when, when those times when God is obviously helping you. We have testimony times, uh, and we want to we remember them so that we can be encouraged when it's not so encouraging. When we, we can be reminded what, what happens when we turn to God and we, and we cling to Him, we hold on to Him, and we trust Him. The testimony of our church thus far, and we're choosing to remember this, is the Lord has helped us to this point, just like the Ebenezer story. The Lord has helped us to this point. It's a story that we're living to, through together as a church. But as for us, our study is called Make a Difference. Learning to follow God well. If you want to make a difference, if you want to make a difference, you, you dedicate yourself uh, to renewed dedication to being all in as you, as you follow Him. And watch how God's obvious help Watch how God's obvious help can see you make a greater difference in your life than you ever could on your own. The God-helped life has unlimited potential to make a difference. The God-helped life has unlimited potential to make a difference. As you keep following God with all your heart, soul, strength, I've got three challenges for you today. Three challenges. The challenge number one is this. If... If there was an idol or two fighting for first place in your life above God, if that was happening to you, what might it be? If you were to just guess, you know, of course I don't have an idol, that's, that's bad. But if I did, it'd probably be these 17 things above God. <laughs> you know, if, okay, if. Uh, and, and if that was the case, what, what might you need to do about that? What do you need? There's probably some things that are coming to mind that you just need to get rid of now. You need to get rid of. Uh, some of those things, it, it wouldn't be proper to get rid of because of what they are or something like that, but maybe they just need to be reprioritized. What do you need to do about that? Another challenge is consider reading Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. That's a book that he writes about uh, modern-day idolatry, Counterfeit Gods. And thirdly, start a journal again. Again. I have so many journals that are like four entries or five entries. I, I've got a stack of them. But every time, I, I just don't start back into, oh, and seven years later. Uh, I, 
I just go and I'm, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to get a new, uh, so I get a new journal every time, time I start. And I, I have way more failed attempts at journaling than positive attempts in journaling. Someday, it's going to be pretty easy. There's going to be like lots of, of blank paper in my home. And just take out four sheets of this journal, four sheets of that journal. But uh, it's, you're always, I, I keep reminding myself this, we're always only one new start away from potentially it continuing. And my current, current journaling has been going on now for quite some time. Um, for, yeah, for maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, um, after maybe a decade of not doing so good. I was really good in 2004, 2005, 2006, and then I've been rubbish until about a year, year and a half ago. Uh, start a journal, start a journal again. Mm -hmm.